Thank you, Joe. We are going to do that now. We're going to open our Bibles uh, to the book of Philippians. We're about halfway through the book, and today starting in chapter 3. So please grab your Bible, open to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses, and I'm going to invite Wynn up, and Wynn's going to be reading for us. Thanks. Philippians 3, 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus is my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Cool, thank you, Wynne. Uh, keep your Bibles open. It's, it's a dense passage. Uh, there's a lot crammed in there. Uh, and the flow can be a little hard to pick. So it'll be good for you if you can follow along um, and if you can keep up as we work our way uh, through these verses together this morning. Uh, it's been shown uh, that there is a strong link between confidence and joy. Um, I'm sure you know this, you may have heard this before, uh, but confidence in something uh, helps us to enjoy uh, that thing. For example, the very first day I ever snow skied, um, Upper Ben Lomond, beginner's slopes, the bass toe, my lovely uh, instructor took me up the, the beginner's lift, took me to the very top, well, the very top, it's not that far, but took me to the top of the lift, uh, gave me a couple of instructions on how to ski and, and what to do, and then abandoned me as I fell over and as I rolled around on the ground for about an hour just trying to stand up. It's, it's, it's pretty hard to stand up with skis stuck to your feet, standing on ice. Anyway, about an hour later, I'd picked you know, my way down the slope a couple of times, you know, lots of falls, lots of bruises by this stage, and my instructor decided, you're doing great, come with me out to the intermediate slope. So she took me out the back of the mountain to the uh, more challenging slope, took me up a considerably longer lift, a lot higher up the hill, and abandoned me again. <laughs> it's hard to believe I married her. <laughs> but two or three hours later, by the time I'd made it back down to you know slopes that I was comfortable on, and, and a few hours later in that day, after I'd stopped falling so much and started skiing some more. As my confidence grew, 
my enjoyment grew as well. You know, as I got better at skiing, I enjoyed skiing a whole lot more. And, and the better I got, uh, the better it was. Because more confidence in something leads to more joy in something. If we're not confident, we don't enjoy it. Uh, on the flip side, um, I used to play for a footy team in Launceston. Um, I was on the outer, like this was above my ability. So I was on the outer of the team. I was always fighting for my position. I ended up getting dropped for the finals, which is pretty humiliating. But because I was never really confident that I belonged to that team, because I was always fighting for my position, I, I never really enjoyed playing. I was always worried, you know, am I going to get named this week? Am I going to get a game? Am I going to get off the bench? Not being confident meant not enjoying it. More confidence equals more joy. No confidence equals no joy. There's a little bit more maths for you. So let me ask, how is your joy in Jesus? That's where we're heading. Let's, let's ask that again. How is your joy in Jesus? Because if we've seen anything through Philippians, we've seen that there should be joy, shouldn't there? I mean, the number of times it is mentioned in this letter, and will still be mentioned in this letter, rejoice, be glad, have joy. I mean, it's more than just happiness. Don't just have a smile on your face, but have joy, this deeper and richer and, and greater satisfaction, this, this contentment and peace. Have joy, rejoice in Jesus. So how's your joy? Because what Paul tells us in this passage is the biggest threat to your joy is not being too busy. It's not being too exhausted. It's not even facing trials or difficult times in life. At the end of the day, the biggest threat to your joy in Jesus is a lack of confidence in Jesus. It's not something external, it's your internal, your confidence in Him. So how confident can you be in Him? How could you build your confidence? Well, as we unpack this passage, we're going to find out this morning. Now, we've seen it throughout this letter, but for Paul, uh, joy is just a natural part of the Christian life. You can't talk about the Christian life without talking about joy. The, the, the two are just welded in together. Believers in Jesus should be joyful, full stop. <laughs> And so that's, he, he, he draws it in here as well. He links it into the next instruction, which forms the second half of this letter. We see it there right at the start in chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. It's kind of a weird mixing of themes, isn't it? Rejoice, but watch out for the dogs. You know? But let's unpack it. Let's see what's going on. There's an issue here in Philippi. Um, not with the Philippians themselves. There's an issue with this group of people who may be casting influence into this church. It's something he's broached with them before, not in this letter, but clearly in person he's spoken about this. And he says, I need to write to you again. It's no burden for me to do it. It's important. It matters. Because this problem is a joy stealer. So what's at stake? You know, what's the, the question that he's wrestling with here? Well, it comes down to this key concept of circumcision. 
<laughs> I think, well, that's weird. <laughs> it's not an issue that we really wrestle with that much. But it's a big deal to Paul. Because what's behind this issue of circumcision is really the question of how do you view Jesus? How do you understand Jesus and his work? That's the question that's really behind here. And there's two options, there's two ways that you could understand Jesus. Firstly, there's the people that Paul's talking about. There's these uh, people that he's writing concerning. Now, these people read their Old Testaments and saw all the things that were described there, all the, all the signs and rituals and you know, things like the temple and sacrifices and the law and all those things, including circumcision, and they read those there and said, those things are really important. They must still matter today as well. They must matter now. Yes, Jesus has come, but Jesus kind of coexists with those things. You know, they're all here. Jesus just caps them off. So we like Jesus, but we like these things as well. That's the people Paul's writing about. Paul's view of Jesus is different. Paul knew all these things, temples, sacrifices, law, circumcision, all that sort of stuff as well. He knew his Old Testament. He saw them, but he saw them in a different light. He saw them as foreshadowing something that was to come or pointing towards something that would be. He saw them as things that are now fulfilled in Jesus. So they mattered, they pointed forwards, but then when Jesus came, the importance of those things ended. And so he says, because of Jesus, we don't need those things anymore. We can see what they pointed to. We can see how they teach us about Jesus and why we needed Jesus. But we don't need to do them anymore because Jesus is here and he's better. So Paul's opponents, or not opponents, these people he's talking about, they said, Jesus and all this other stuff. You know, Jesus is great, but we need to keep doing this stuff. Paul says, no. It's not Jesus plus stuff. It is Jesus Jesus alone. That's it. That's the equation here. Now you might think, that's, you know, that's quite a technical kind of point, isn't it? It's quite a theological argument. Who actually cares? <laughs> why does it matter? We don't wrestle with those sorts of things. But here's why it matters. It matters because these people were saying, Jesus plus this stuff is the way to really believe in him. You know, the way to really be sure that you belong. You know, yes, believe in Jesus, but if you don't do all this stuff, you're not really, really a Christian. <laughs> you don't really, really belong. You're not getting the, the, the most out of it. All of these things are signs of your belonging, are signs of the, the fact that you matter here. So they're saying to be a real Christian, believe in Jesus, yes, but to have all the blessings of being a Christian be circumcised and do all this other stuff as well. And Paul says, no, <laughs> that is not how it works at all. And you see it in the way he describes this. He says, no, they're wrong. Uh, we actually, we're the ones who have that fullness. We're the ones who truly belong. That's what the sign of circumcision was all about. We really belong because we believe in Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus, but we belong because we believe in him. Not in what we do, but in him and in nothing else. We're the ones who believe. We're the ones who trust. We're the ones who worship and serve and glory in him. Not by what we do, but in him alone. Not in Jesus plus, but in Jesus alone. Now all of that matters 
Because what's at stake is your confidence. Is it going to be over here in this camp that Paul's writing about? Is your confidence going to be in Jesus plus X, Y, Z, what you do? Or is your confidence going to be in Jesus alone? That's the question. Jesus alone or Jesus plus? Because if your confidence here is in Jesus plus, it's really in the plus, isn't it? Um, maybe, maybe I can illustrate. Okay, say, uh, say Melinda is cooking my favourite meal at home. Um, you know, one of, one of my specialties, she's cooking brisket or fried chicken or something that, that I love. Lovely thing for her to do. Uh, but while she's doing that, I'm there, you know, just hovering. <laughs> I, this is a very real situation, I have to, have to admit. Uh, I'm, I'm there hovering in the background. You know, I'd, I'd probably put a bit more salt on that. Uh, maybe a bit more paprika. You know, don't cook it that long, don't, don't bread it like that, do it like this, the oil's too hot. If I'm there hovering, <laughs> she's going to get a little frustrated, isn't she? I, I can tell you by experience, she will definitely get frustrated, and rightly so. Because in hovering and in keeping on doing all this stuff, what I'm saying is, I don't trust you to do it right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, isn't it? I don't think you can do it. I need to be there too. And if I don't contribute, this won't turn out right. Because at the end of the day, what I'm saying there is my confidence of having a good dinner isn't in Melinda and her cooking, it's in me helping her with her cooking, which really means it's in me. And that's the issue here. At the end of the day, Jesus plus means that my confidence isn't in Jesus, it's in what I add to him. It's in what I bring to the table. My belonging, my position is, is contingent on my performance, not on him. It's in what I add. Doing stuff, that's my confidence. And that's an issue, as we're going to see. Now, my guess is that for us, it's probably not these things. Uh, I don't think that any of you are particularly confident in the fact that you've kept the Old Testament law or, you know, perform the right sacrifices at the temple, or circumcision, or any of those other things. That's not our thing, isn't it? Those aren't the pluses that we put on Jesus. But there are things. There are things that we add, and that we look to for our confidence. Now, you can, you can pick them. Um, they, they tend to be things that we're really glad about when we're, they're going right, that we rejoice in when, when they're going well, you know. We, we get so excited, you know, I've been, I've been humming along really well in my Christian life. Look how much I've been reading my Bible, I've been praying, and, you know, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, I'm confident. Or, you know, I've, wow, I've really, I haven't been giving in to those sins that normally trip me up lately. How, how good am I going? I'm doing great. <laughs> you know, life's been ticking along so well. You know, family, work, I've just got it, I've got it nailed, everything's going wonderfully. We get excited. And we may be resting our confidence there. Are we resting our confidence in our performance as Christians? In our attendance at Christian things, in our balance of life? Are we saying, those are the reasons why my life is good? Are we living out Jesus plus? If so... We are on shaky ground. We are running the risk of our confidence not being in Jesus, but in ourself. 
And that is a dangerous place to be. Jesus plus is a path to destruction. That's why Paul writes against it so strongly. So who or where is your confidence? Where is your confidence? That's the question that, that Paul's confronting. But he's doing it from experience. You know, Paul's been down this road. He's been there further. He's been there better than anyone else before him. And so the answer he can give is the clearest. (laughs) He's had all the pluses. So he should have had all the confidence. But no, look at uh, verse 4 through 6. He's spoken about this, this confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence, more reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Okay, this is, this is kind of Paul giving you the top to bottom of his resume. Uh, and if you're a Jew, this is the ultimate resume. Like if you're on Jewish LinkedIn you're getting headhunted. You know, that's the kind of stuff he's got here. This is, this is great. He was born right, he's raised right, he's lived right, he's ticked every single box. He has it all. None were in his league. You know, if it was, if it was possible to have confidence in God based uh, on what you do, Paul would have it. That's what he's saying. No, no one was close. I mean, it's, it sounds, he's boasting, obviously, he's, he's making a point, but no one was close to him. Better than anyone who's lived, by far. And yet, what does he say? Look at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What's the bottom line of Paul's resume? What would you write over it as a summary? Well, he says, garbage. Actually, the word is a little more scatological than that. I can't use it here. Uh, Rubbish. You can fill in the blanks. It's just not worth anything. It doesn't matter counts for nothing (laughs) because what he has found in Jesus is so much better it is so much better that even the best human resume is is toilet paper (laughs) beside it why is Jesus so good though I mean how, how do we know that how can Paul make such a radical comparison well it's simple he says Jesus is so good because knowing Jesus means gaining Jesus. Knowing Jesus means having Jesus. Knowing him, uh, believing him, is being in him. That is sharing and belonging to him. And when you belong to him, what's his is yours. That's the key here. When you belong to him, what is his is yours. 
So then, rather than having a righteousness uh, that, you know, that is a right standing before God, the criteria for belonging to God, rather than having a righteousness that is of you, that you've, you know, made and generated of yourself, instead, what you have is a righteousness from God through Jesus. Not by doing all this stuff, but by believing in Him, being linked to Him, and by having what is His. Your righteousness, anything you can do, as Paul claims here, is flawed. It doesn't matter what you can draw yourself up to, what you can gather together in, in defense of your own name, your righteousness is flawed. Your standing before God is, is, is flawed. Because it's only as good as you can make it. And at the end of the day, that's just not very good. God's righteousness is perfect. Because he is perfect. He is righteousness defined. He is the author of it. And that right standing, that criteria for belonging, Paul says that can be yours. Not by earning it, not by doing something to gain it, but by simply believing in Jesus, by putting your trust in him. And that righteousness that he earned is credited to you. His righteousness, perfect as it is, means perfect confidence for you. Here's, here's the difference. Okay, uh, say, say you're applying for a job. Now, this, this is your dream job, okay? Uh, it is great work. It is great working conditions. You know, your dream salary, uh, your dream hours. It is, it is everything you have ever wanted. This job will set you up for life. It is perfect. So you apply. But part of the application process for this job is, is a test, a written test. And this is a tough test. It covers all sorts of things. You know, theoretical physics, quantum mechanics, experiment. I don't know what this job is, but it's got it all, and it's tough. And the pass mark is 100%. You have to be flawless to get this job. So you're a bit stressed. Uh, you're a bit nervous. But you want this job. What choice do you have? You, you need to give it a go, don't you? This is your dream job, of course. You're going to sit it and have a, have a crack, aren't you? But on your way into the exam room, uh, the boss of the company pulls you aside and he, he whispers in your ear, he says, I really like you. I really want you to succeed. I wrote the exam. Here's the answers. It's all legal. I can do this. It's okay. Here's the answers. Take it in. Write your name on the top. And you're good. What are you going to do? You're going to take that, aren't you? I mean, you're going to be stupid not to. Here is your 100% guaranteed way to definitely get your dream job. You know you could never pass that exam on your own. Here's your chance. He is giving it to you freely so that you could get in on his merits. That's Paul's point here. You can try your best. I mean, Paul did. And Paul did pretty well, to be honest. But your best isn't good enough. In fact, when we start to stack things up, your best is rubbish. It is garbage. It won't get you anywhere. You can try and try. You can strive and strive and work and work at this with no confidence, no joy at all, just desperate effort. And at the end of the day, you will miss out. You won't make the cut. Or you can trust in Jesus. 
and you can accept his work in your place because he's done it all. Your filthy, sin-stained slate, he's cleaned and wiped through his death. He's lived perfectly. He's obeyed God perfectly. He's earned that righteousness. And he is offering to put your name at the top of his work. To write over his answers, your name. There's absolute confidence, isn't it? the son's own work, the son's own righteousness with your name on it. If you trust in Jesus, there is not a shred of uncertainty about your standing before and your belonging to God. Not a shred of uncertainty. Because it has been given, it has been confirmed and established once and for all, not by you, but by Jesus' perfect righteousness that has been credited to your account. There is confidence in what he could do, what he has done for you, in believing in him. And there's joy in having that confidence through trusting him. See, if you are struggling with joy in the Christian faith, then perhaps this is the issue. Perhaps this is what's underlying it all. Is it possible that when you really boil it down, you are believing in Jesus plus? Jesus plus what you would do, what you would have, what you could offer. Because at the end of the day, when you add anything to Jesus, you simply take away. You don't get more confidence, you get less. Just like in the, the maths we saw here. If your confidence is Jesus plus, you know, my ability to make good decisions, to chart a good path through life, you're going to be disappointed when you make a bad decision. If your confidence is, you know, Jesus plus my stable family life and my ability to hold things together on the home front, uh, you're going to be disappointed when that falls apart. If your confidence is Jesus plus, you know, your strength to beat off the, the porn addiction or to defeat the alcohol addiction or keep your ang anger under control or whatever, you're going you're to lose out. You're going to lose that confidence because you'll fail. And where will you be then? And we could go on, couldn't we? At the end of the day, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus alone is everything. He has done it all. His righteousness is perfect. And if you trust him and trust him alone and consider all of those other things, anything you might offer, anything you might bring to the table and see it as trash for the sake of trusting him, then and there will you find unmatched confidence and joy. That's the answer here. Total confident belonging in Jesus alone. And the joy we find there is better. It's better by far. See, some might say of Paul, hang on a moment, this all sounds great, but when we look at your life, it used to be a lot better. 
You know, as a Pharisee, uh, you were popular, you were successful, you were on the rise, you know, who knows where you could have ended. You might have been prime minister one day. Uh, you were, you know, a comfortable life, maybe wealthy. Uh, everyone respected you. Life was good. <laughs> life was great for you. But now life sucks. You're in prison. <laughs> you had everything. Now your life is awful. You've been through all sorts of horrible things. I mean, you were stoned the other day. <laughs> like, that's a bad life. What's going on? What sort of joy is that? Well, look what Paul says in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. As we saw, knowing Paul means, uh, sorry, knowing Jesus means belonging to Jesus. That's what's his is yours as well. And what's his is, yes, righteousness and resurrection, right standing before God, belonging to his people, but it's also suffering and death, isn't it? That's what Paul says. That's part of being part of Jesus. What he's offering is better, though the path is harder. There is a cost now to pay. It's a cost of killing off sin it's the cost of dying to self. It's the cost of suffering for the sake of Jesus, even to the point of accepting persecution. That's what belonging to him means. But costly now though it is, there is an assurance to come still. An assurance through it all. This resurrection from the dead that we gain at the end. Yes, being self-righteous is easy now. Um, it's less certain, as Paul said, but it is more, in a human-speaking way, it is more successful. <laughs> you know, if you want to get ahead in this world, then honestly, being a Christian is a bad career move. But if you want life, if you want life beyond death, if you want resurrection to eternity and perfection, then knowing Jesus, gaining Jesus, being found in Jesus is the only way through his resurrection, uh, righteousness, through his path of suffering, to his life eternal. When I was at uni, um, around the end of semester, exam time, uh, I sometimes get a little tense, you know, exams are not exactly my favourite thing in the world, uh, and sometimes part of that tension would be getting nightmares. <laughs> I don't think I'm alone in that, but uh, I had a particular nightmare which would pop up every semester or so, uh, and in my nightmare, I would be studying for, for my exam. I'd be studying like crazy, you know, cramming. That was my thing. I'm not really a great studier, but I'm a great crammer. So I'd be stuffing in as much information to my mind as possible, you know, fixated on the, the subject at hand. And then I'd get into the exam room uh, and flip open the first page. And everything there would be entirely different <laughs> to what I'd studied. I'd never seen any of it before. <laughs> that was my nightmare. And you can imagine the horror and then, you know, wake up with a cold sweat. It's awful, isn't it? That, that's, that's like the ultimate nightmare, to, to, to do all the work, to, to put all the effort in, and then at the very last hurdle fall, to, to, to miss out, to know you can never pass. That, that's, that's, an, that's awful. Well, Paul says there's no such fear for those who are in Jesus. There is no such fear. Those who have trusted in his righteousness, not their own, those who have believed in him, not themselves, those who have followed him, 
even though their life is harder now, for them there is no last hurdle. There's no last hurdle but an open door and a welcome home and a resurrection from the dead. Those who have sought out their own righteousness, who have rested on Jesus plus what they can bring to the table, for them there is a last hurdle. And that last hurdle is insurmountable. It won't be crossed. And the door is closed. Jesus alone is harder now, but it is the path to life eternal. You who believe in him, you may pass through sufferings, through cost and difficulty and persecution now, but this assurance is yours. Suffering and hardship and cost, it doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. It doesn't mean you've made a terrible choice, even though it looks like it from a worldly point of view. Because if your trust is him, then his righteousness is yours. And your eternity is secured. Your life is given. You have a better end. So be confident in him. And have joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for everything that Jesus has done. We thank you for his death that cleanses us from sin. We thank you for his life of perfect obedience, which by your grace you freely credit to us when we trust in him. Father, there is nothing we lack that we can't find in him. Because in him is our perfect confidence, our perfect assurance, and therefore joy unmatched. Father, we praise you that he is ours freely, that all of this is ours freely through trusting in him. Father, we ask for your forgiveness because there are so many times where we don't trust him and when we start to put our confidence in the things that we can bring to the table or the things that we could do or offer. Father, forgive us for this. Instead, help us to see again his perfection and his better righteousness. And instead, in light of that, help us to treat all that we could offer as garbage, knowing that he is all the righteousness we ever need. Father, may our confidence rest in him alone, that we would be joyful in whatever comes, confident in his righteousness, hopeful in the life he gives. We pray this in his name. Amen.